Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Time once again for T. Watts and TR on the Bama Online Podcast. It is a Tuesday, February the 7th, 2023. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, alongside site publisher Tim Watts. And Tim, what do you say after a coordinator-filled weekend, right? Friday, Sunday, it was a weekend of coordinator news for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty good timing. I remember when we said early on that Saban was focused on finishing the underclassmen recruiting, getting a head start on that. Of course, he was doing work. I mean, he was making calls. Um, You know, college coaches are very much phone callers when they're traveling from school to school. And I know Nick Saban's no exception. So they were calling, you know, he's calling and making, um, you know, know, asking for input. You know, a lot of people I talk to, some that have talked to Saban, it's kind of funny because you can tell he's the guy. He'll ask you your opinion, but you never get his. So there's no <laughs> there's no back and forth. It's simply, hey, Travis, do you like Chinese food? Then I'll leave you wondering if I like it. So uh, kind of like uh, kind of like Paulie and uh, Goodfellas, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a good comparison. So he doesn't give a lot. He just asks. Uh, so he was obviously doing the work, but they wanted to finish that recruiting get back through that dead period. Then he had that week to work on it. And obviously, you know, we said, I know every coaching search with the fans, it's going to go, you know, Mike, get, get uh, big, you know, Bill, you know, Belichick, all these guys are the big names are always on their hot board, but it's seldom that, he, you know, it's, that's never really the case. Hardly. You never have this wide open thing. I think Nick Saban had a small group of people, especially at the defensive coordinator position, that he wanted to, that he trusted what he wanted to get back to. And I think Kevin Steele, Todd Grantham, Charles Kelly, those proven veterans types, Jeremy Pruitt, I would add him in that mix. I think all those guys are what he wanted to get back to after having basically taken Pete at what, 33, 34, 35 years old, whatever he was, very young, and teaching him, you know, along the way. So now he's got somebody that knows a lot of his tricks. So getting Kevin Steele back there, you know, and the, you know, the, for the fans that want to get back to basics, um, Kevin Steele's a basic guy. He gets to basics. He, he understands tackling. He understands all that things. You watched his teens. You know, I know, I know he did well against Alabama a couple of times, but if you watch his teams, you watch his linebacker play all that stuff that Alabama fans had problems with with the defense, the lack of tackling, the linebacker play. That's sort of what he shines at. Um, also, you got Austin Armstrong coming in, who's a linebacker guy. So you've got you know some linebacker help on the way. Yeah, we'll get into maybe how this staff is going to break down from a balance perspective because there are still some things cons- to consider in the secondary. Uh, even with the hires of Steele and Armstrong, you've had that two-coach approach in the back end with a uh, corners coach and a safeties coach, uh, how that dynamic sort of works out between the offense, the defense, and also special teams. We'll get into some of that, but I wanted to go back to Tommy Reese with you because 
He was the first news to break over the weekend as the new offensive coordinator at Alabama. I guess a guy that when you talk about his background, what he's worked in as far as offenses, conceptually, schematically, how personnel is used, uh, it lines up. But might still be a bit of a surprise because we talked about youth on the defensive side that Nick has gone with and some previous hires. Uh, this guy's definitely a young guy at 30 years old. Yeah, he's a young guy. I mean, he's got a decent amount of experience to be. I mean, it's kind of crazy. He was on that Alabama, he's on that Notre Dame team, Alabama beat, which doesn't seem that long ago. You know, that's how young he is, 30 years old. Um, you know, but a guy that's got some pretty good experience, especially when you look at him. He's got, you know, a decent amount of offensive coordinator position uh, experience, two or three years there. But he's got a lot of quarterback and offensive assistant, going back to the Chargers, quarterback coach at Notre Dame and you know, and I and I know there's a mixed bag. I get, you know, people were talking about the quarterback play at Notre Dame, but they they're not they were they were not having the same quarterbacks Alabama was having, um, or have on campus. I mean, it's got to be a it's got to be a nice little uh, surprise to walk into that quarterback room next year with with so much to work with and so many different kind of guys to kind of pick and choose from. So, but the thing I like, I mean, a lot of people and I felt it this way too. The biggest thing I felt this year with the offense is when you needed third and one, it seemed really hard to get. You know, you'd see Roy Dell slipping or just the lack. You know, you'd have the running game at the end of the day was often fine when you look at how many yards they ran for. But a lot of times you would see, you know, there's a lot of negative or, or non-game plays, which for Alabama, it's unheard of not to get two yards running the ball, you know. So I think you get that kind of style running game with him. You saw him, I mean, especially the Clemson game, and that's a pretty – that's a pretty real. That's a pretty strong defensive front. Defensive uh, uh, Clemson's got and that front seven, a really good front seven, and they did a good job of running. And as everybody says, getting downhill, you know, getting behind your pads, falling forward, moving the chains, that kind of running game. But also, you're going to have the passing. I mean, you look at the guys they recruited. You're going to have speed guys that can bust it open, and uh, who can, you know, guys that are going to be able to get open. That you know, the one catch guy that can take it to the house. So you're going to have a lot of options there to blow it up a little bit more, you know, with the versatility. Yeah, uh, I would say a good bit more running back and tight end centric. Notre Dame has been not an offense that has worked at tempo a lot. So I'm sure that's something that will be discussed moving forward at Alabama. But just in terms of fundamental aspects of offensive football, it's a it's a reasonable marriage, I would say, uh, at this point. And also, Tim. What we've seen from Notre Dame and from Tommy Reese's offenses as recently as the Gator Bowl performance against South Carolina in Jacksonville. Tyler Buckner, the Notre Dame quarterback, used on some designed quarterback runs and more movement with the quarterback and understanding Alabama has had uh, pocket guys, pocket prodigies, I guess you could call them, and Tua and Mack and Bryce who could also extend plays. But as far as designed plans to move the quarterback, to even run the quarterback, I think that's coming for guys like Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow. And there's already been a lot of talk about, well, who does this hire benefit more at the quarterback position? Is it Jalen Milrow? Is it Ty Simpson? Uh, how do you see that with uh, Reese coming into this situation? Yeah, I lean, you know, and I've said this in previous podcasts, I lean towards Ty simply because they have the guys – that can uh, they've got the wide receivers that they really didn't have the last couple of years as, as, as the depth especially so I lean towards Ty 
and probably still lean there because again, you know, nobody really talks about Ty. And it's hard when you talk about being a running, you know, an athlete, and you're the two guys you're talking about is Jalen Hurts. I mean, shoot, Jalen Hurts, Milrow, and anybody else, any Milrow and anybody else. It's hard to even put them in the same sentence. So I get that. But Ty Simpson's a good athlete. This is a guy that ran the ball. He's fairly athletic, got a good arm, pulled down the ball, and you know, he definitely, you know, had an impact when he was in high school at that level. And I'm not sure why. You know, a lot of people were discussing a portal quarterback. They have good quarterbacks on campus. They have guys that can compete. And again, you know, you know, you never know how Milrow's going to respond to a new quarterback coach. So to me, Simpson, because he's the more complete player um, until uh, Milrow has, can prove he's a consistent passer. But I think both benefit greatly from having someone new in their ear, especially a young guy. I mean, 30 years old is a puppy. You know, he's going to have that energy. That's the one thing I'm talking to other coaches. He's going to have that energy. He's going to have that confidence that cockiness that he's going to want to get in there and push them and probably, you know, be good for the, for the morale as well. Yeah. And when you have to account for the quarterback too, in the run game, that benefits everybody, right? That helped at Notre Dame when you didn't have the kind of talent there that you have at Alabama or have had at Alabama helps you get guys open, helps create better opportunities for the backs, the tight ends, really, you name it. And it's not something you have to do 15 or 20 times per game. If you do it a couple of three, four times and hurt a defense with it, they're going to have to account for that moving forward. So when we look at Tommy Reese, the recruiter, and understanding you know, what's reasonable in terms of workload as a recruiter for a coordinator at Alabama, what's your expectation there? It sounds like he's a, a guy that can get it done. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, to me personally, I'm just excited to see the running game again. I mean, you know, <laughs> I always go to the recruiting, you know, the recruiting angle. I always want to see those recruits play the shiny toys. And last year, Justice Haynes and Richard Young are two of the best in the nation. You know, I think Justice certainly is in the discussion for best running back. And Jamarian Miller's another guy I really think benefits from this. Obviously, Jace, Roy Dale, they're going to have a little bit of advantage there. But I think Miller's going to be a guy, new coach that comes in with fresh eyes, who's never seen anybody, I think he's going to be really excited about a guy a guy like Miller. And I, I just want to see him run the ball, not not the old 17-6 to 6 game, 17-13. to 13. I just want to see them, when they need to, line up, push the ball down the field behind the offensive lineman. And, hey, Wolf brought in some monsters. I mean, these are all 300-plus guys. They came in to – you know, they came in to, to grind, I'm a, you know, came in to grind and guys that push on you and lean on you for four quarters. So I'm kind of excited about, about that dynamic. Yeah, physicality at the running back position. And you said it earlier, the numbers were fine for the run game when you added it all up. There were certainly plenty of explosive plays. I think it was five runs of 50 yards or more for Alabama in 2022. Notre Dame, on the other hand, without that type of explosiveness at the running back position, didn't have a run of 50 yards or more. So physicality, need to see a consistent presence of that returning to the running back position. I think you hit on it with the guys you mentioned, and not just on the ball, but in terms of pass protection as well. That was something that we probably never gave enough attention to when talking about Najee Harris, when talking about Brian Robinson. Uh, it's really all-encompassing when you have that ability uh, at that position. So what do you also see in Tommy Reese again 
what will his workload be like as a recruiter, Tim, in your opinion? It, it, he has a track record that speaks well for him. But again, as a coordinator, I guess you have to balance that if you're Nick Saban. Well, the offensive coordinator at Alabama is rarely recruited very heavily. Um, of course, they all go out at certain periods, the dead periods, the April evaluation periods. They're all there for the camps. But during the season, they're buckled down. With him being young and a recruiter, I think he could be – I mean, I think it's to be determined. They're meeting today <clears throat> for the first time this morning, probably establishing new recruiting areas and all that. I know that they'll want him to spend a lot of time on the game plan. But also, I mean, we've seen offensive coordinators, not many, but we've seen a, a Loxley, for instance, be very active. It could just be, you know, putting the guy on the quarterbacks, which every coach is involved with, but also could be putting him in an area he's more comfortable with. I don't expect it to be like as spread out as a as a Charles Kelly was last year or Freddie Roach or, a, you know, T-Rob. Some of those guys had just vast areas. Gillespie just had – all kind of areas all over the place. I don't expect it to be that big, but I think it's probably going to be bigger than a Bill O'Brien. You know, again, you got a 30 year old guy. He's probably wants to get on the road. That's part of, part of the, you know, part of the, you know, you, you, you know, when you're 30, you love to travel, you know, when you're 50, you hate it unless you're going on vacation. So um, I think that could factor into his age. And of course you'd want him in, you know, talking to kids and being exuberant. But then again, like you said, it's a, it's a time consuming job. It's his first year, so maybe this will settle in um, over the you know over the course. But right now, you walk in, it's a time he's got between now and August to balance both of them because there is no season. He's got spring coming up, but for the most part, he's able to work the phones, talk to kids. But I think it'll probably be you know a condensed version of recruiting this first year. Yeah, narratives are amazing thing too, right? And these coordinator hires and. I think Reese and Steele are examples of that. You look at Reese. This is a young guy, a Notre Dame guy through and through, played college football at Notre Dame, assistant coach at Notre Dame, leaves a situation where he has Sam Hartman coming in from Wake Forest to take the Alabama job. And there's still a narrative out there that, well, Alabama settled for Tommy Reese. And uh, there's also the narrative that, wow, it's a hell of a pull because again, this is a guy with deep, deep roots to Notre Dame and a rising coach in the business at 30 years old. Uh, it, it, does it ever cease to amaze how, uh, how these kind of hires are perceived both positively and negatively? I just think, you know, for me, I always go back to the, what a college coach thinks. I mean, that's my first, what, what his peers thinks of him as a coach is what I, what, what I always rely on the most. The fans, I mean, fans are the fans. You know what I mean? Most fans, there wasn't a lot of fans breaking down Notre Dame fan film this year. Let's be real. There's not a lot of Alabama fans watching every Notre Dame game. You know, they just weren't. There wasn't a lot of not anybody watching those games this year, honestly. But we have um, coaches who think the guy's good. We have coaches who aren't surprised uh, that Nick Saban went this direction. That kind of tells me more than anything. I mean, because – the one thing about the coaches I know, they're very honest. If they think it's a crap hire or it's it's not a – you know, they that the pros and cons are there with, you know, even when discussing the Todd Grant, I mean, the discussion was he's got a lot of experience calling the game. He's had a lot of big jobs. I mean, you look where he's been. He has a lot of – you know, he's been let go for most of them. But that was more of a recruiting lack of re, you know, what explained to me was a lack of replenishing the talent that he needed. But they felt he could call the game. Just wasn't a terrific a recruiter or 
are the most social guys. So when I talk to these people, I'm getting good feedback from them. And Reese, they like. They like, you know, of course, you know, you get that, you know, you see a 30-year-old coordinator, you're always going to have that old school coach that's going to be like buddies young. But I, I don't think youth factors into coaching. I think experience and knowledge, and I said that before, you can be, you know, 30 years old and a genius and have eight years experience. And then you can, there's coaches that don't even coach college till they're in their forties or in their late thirties. So I like what you see, what he's going to do. Also, I trust the talent that Alabama has. I mean, we've seen a, a history of offensive coordinators who've done really well. I mean, they've done really well production wise. So I trust the talent. I trust that Nick Saban knows what he's getting. And I do look at his resume and the coaches I talk to feel like it's a good hire and also, it's the most important thing. It fixes the glaring need that most Alabama fans griped about, the inability to run the ball, to be a more balanced offense, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's 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 what you wanted. Now, it's not a sexy hire. Most people aren't that familiar with him. But um, I think the more you learn about him, I think the more you'll like him. Yeah, Alabama in 2022 just did not compliment itself in all three phases of the game we've talked about that before many times back to in season uh four or five months ago uh and this hire seems to address that you know more balance on offense more physicality on offense um should be able to control games a little bit better third down conversions red zone for touchdown conversions you don't want will Riker to have to be an all-american in 2023 you you want him kicking extra points so uh, there are things that go with this hire that that certainly match up to the core Saban beliefs now with Kevin Steele uh you mentioned some of the candidates earlier was it really that small of a pool when it came down to it because obviously Glenn Schumann was thrown around Jim Leonard was thrown around how big was that that pool so to speak of, of candidates at the end of the day it's my understanding it was fairly small. I mean, I know that, like, there was a certain kind of coach he was looking for. And, you know, what's funny is you had – it's kind of like – you know, he kind of – if you look, he kind of did the opposite of his offensive coordinator he had and what he got. And then the mm-hmm. defensive coordinator, he did the same thing, right? You had an older guy. You got a younger guy. You had a younger guy defense. You have an older guy now. Um, I think he wanted a proven veteran that he could trust that knew the system that was going to call the plays, that knows how to work a room. I mean, look, no matter what you feel about these coaches that have been around, you know, a long time, Kevin Steele, uh, Charles Kelly, Todd Grantham, Jeremy Pruitt, there's not a coach who's coached in multiple places that's been successful at every place. Nick Saban has not been successful at every place. Um, Bill Belichick has not been successful at every place. You look at resumes Everyone's going to have something you don't like about that resume. A lot factors in there, but they do have the room. They do know how to work a room. They know how to handle a coaching staff, for instance. They've been around. There's a lot to be said for experience. Hey, and if I'm Nick Saban, this is a lot of speculative speculation, but if I'm Nick Saban and I just, again, if I spent the last four or five years basically training somebody every day to try to do what I what I wanted him to do, it's got to be taxing when you can bring in a guy who gets it right away, who's been there. I mean, this is the third time he's hired Kevin Steele. You know, Kevin Steele's worked. He's had some success. Success. College coaches think he's really good at his job. They respect the job he does. I know Miami wasn't good this year. I don't care who was coaching them this year. You could have put the all-defensive team of the world together. It wouldn't have mattered. 
You could have put the 38 people in the stands on the field. It wouldn't have mattered. Nobody was making that defense much better. I was looking at last night, found a stat that they had like, the offense had like 28 turnovers in five games for Miami. I think. Oh, they were a disaster. Yeah. Miami to me is out the window. Now, I mean, obviously he's had other places. I mean, I don't know of any people that went at Baylor, you know, the, the ones that did got in trouble and, um, you know, back in the day. So I think you look at anybody in that aspect, they're going to have flaws. Anybody, you know, anybody, unless they're young and a Glenn Schumann. Hey, and everything I've heard about Glenn Schumann is good. He's 32, mm-hmm. 33 years old. I mean, a lot of people think he's super smart. I have no idea. He's surrounded by Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, two guys that really know the game. But, I mean, obviously Kirby's a smart coach and hired him. So he, he, he obviously – is doing something right. But I've never heard his name mentioned. I talked to Rusty Menzel, who's very piped into the Georgia site. He never heard he was contacted. And everybody can say, here's the thing. We've had people turn down, announced, they've turned down Alabama jobs for 15 years, right, who never had the job offer. We've heard, we, it's happened year, it's happened all the time. People have withdrawn their name from an offer where they weren't even in the discussion to begin with. So most people tend to mention that because it's a big deal. Alabama wants you. I find it hard to believe a bunch of people were contacted, and and everybody kept it quiet that they were contacted. I find that hard to believe. That'd be the first time that's ever happened. Yeah, I get the sense that with Nick, if he calls someone, and it's mostly with the intention of information gathering, yes. that person that person may not realize it, but they may be interviewing for the job while exchanging information or talking with Nick just in passing in some of these situations. Um, coaches who a hundred percent talk, spoke to Nick Saban yeah. and are not offered or recruited or anything else for the job. He's a pretty, he talks to a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, when Jeremy Pruitt was the head coach at Tennessee, they talked. Kirby smart, and Nick Saban talk. I don't think he was trying to get Kirby or Jeremy to come back. And when they were SEC head coaches, no. I mean, all the coaches still talk to him. For the most part, it's my understanding. So um, I think that talk to is a little bit, you know, blown out of blown out of portion. I mean, talk about the job or just talk how life's going. It's two different things. I think he knew what he wanted mentally, what kind of coach he wanted. And he he had a small pool is what my understanding is. Yeah, it's it's interesting, too, uh, because you think about it in terms of Alabama fundamentally on defense in 2022 I thought they were shockingly bad uh on too many occasions for what they brought back and the production that returned for Alabama from the previous season I was I was really surprised by that um and this seems to address that and also from a staff dynamics perspective you still got some young guys on that defensive staff here comes a mentor type and Kevin Steele hey one of the first things that came to mind and we communicated this uh, as it was coming down was that, well, you know, Steele's 64 years old. You just brought in a 29, 30 year old defensive assistant in Austin Armstrong. This is a great opportunity for Austin Armstrong to work under Kevin Steele. And then who knows in a year or two, how that plays out down the road with your coordinator spot, uh, similar to Steele and Kirby smart back in 2007. So I think there's a couple of different ways to look at that higher Tim, and as far as how it addresses things right now and how it could address some things a couple of years down the road. Yeah, I don't think it was hired. I mean, I've seen a lot of people saying a bridge and a, uh, a gap stop. Most of them link it to Pruitt. I mean, 
you know, to me, if all things were equal, if everything was equal, I think Jeremy Pruitt would probably be the defensive coordinator at Alabama, but he's not. Mm-hmm. And nobody really knows. There's uncertainty there. I know that's a word, you know, it's easy to say, hard to prove, but there is uncertainty. We're not exactly sure what's going to happen. And really it's because you're dealing with the NCAA who's proven to be very unpredictable. At best, that's the way to put it, very unpredictable. So, with their time frames, yeah, they I, are ultra I mean, yeah, unpredictable. This, yeah, this thing could be over in March. This thing could be dragging on forever. So I think that what he wanted was, I feel that Nick Saban knows he's got, you know, at the end of his career, three, four, two, three, four, five years, whatever he's got left. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, speculate on that. He could be coaching the 85, to be honest. I mean, healthy, <laughs> he's pretty active. Uh, and that was another thing. Let me tell you this a little rant. Everybody's saying it was lazy hires. That man outworks everybody listening to this podcast every day, including me and you. Every day, four up at 4.30, out the door. Did you see him on the recruiting trail? This guy was nonstop every day. So a guy that works that hard tends not to be lazy at anything. You know, like if you're playing him in checkers, he's probably going all in. That guy's probably when he sweeps his deck, he probably does. He goes all in. I think when he fishes, he goes all in. So it's hard for me to believe he was lazy with with anything in this process. But I think he was deliberate. I think he was taking his time and knew what he wanted and 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 kind of just fell in there. But I don't believe that Kevin Steele was was hired as a stopgap. I feel he was the best candidate for what he needed right now this mm-hmm. year. Of course, that could change next year. Austin Armstrong is 29. I have no idea if he's even close to calling an SEC game. I know that a lot of people think he's extremely smart. I mean, that's the one thing I got. He's extremely smart. They all talk about what a smart guy he is. And then they all talk about how young he is. Or would Pruitt possibly come back? There's so many, so many ways to speculate that. But I do think that right now, this is what he wanted this year. I think they think they compete for a national championship next year. I, I, in fact, I have no doubts they feel that. Yeah, in terms of game experience, this is going to be a young Alabama defense with all the pieces that are moving on. So to have someone that can help with that transition that is experienced in this as Kevin Steele is, look, he was right there in 2007 with what Nick Saban inherited from the Mike Shula regime. So uh, he's been through this process, not to say that the talent is anywhere close in 2023 to what it was back in 2007, but there is, there's transition big time coming for that Alabama defense. And we talk about staff balance and those type of things and understanding how Alabama has gone with two secondary coaches for much of uh, Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama. Not entirely, but for the most part. Um, And you look at the numbers, 10 on the field assistants. And as it sits right now, I believe Alabama is back to 10, right? With uh, Armstrong coming on, uh, Charles Kelly moving on to Colorado, uh, Pete Golding obviously moving on to Ole Miss. Here comes Kevin Steele. So what are you anticipating, Tim, as far as how this staff ultimately shakes out? Or do you think this is the setup, the guys that Nick Saban's going to ride with? Uh, I mean, there could always be changes. I mean, there's always job offers open. It's really just now the the offseason for most people. The NFL, we're at the last game of Super Bowl that we're going to talk about. So there's a lot of things that could change. I'm not aware of any more changing, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, you know, end all be all that we're not aware of it. I mean, it could happen. You could have guys that wanted to leave. You have guys that get opportunities that want to go to the NFL. You could have all that kind of stuff 
to pop up. But right now, I know they're supposed to meet today, the whole staff. Um, they'll be assigning, you know, new recruiting areas because you had Charles Kelly. You know, I know they've already changed some of it up. Charles Kelly had Montgomery, and now Eric Wolford has Montgomery. So they'll be changing up. Austin Armstrong has to get an area. Kevin Steele, you know. And you know, that's, that was funny at, like, Miami. I just kind of found this out when I was digging. Um, I was just kind of digging in this weekend. Miami apparently recruits by the position, not the area. Huh. I don't know if I've ever really heard of that. I don't know how – I can make for some hellacious uh, frequent flyer miles or I just, I just think school that's jet odd. miles. I just think that's odd because, you know, you, you, you want to have that relationship with those. Yeah, that too. You know, if you're, you know, if you're recruiting a cornerback, you're probably not at the same school every year for that cornerback. That was very odd to me because I was digging into what Kevin Steele did recruiting wise. So basically at Miami, he was involved with every defensive recruit, but didn't have an area because I couldn't find an area. I had to call people that covered Miami and knew the Miami, you know, former coach there. And they said, no, 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 we do it by position. I was like that, that, you know, they did not think that was a very smart way to do it. And I agree. Um, so, but they'll be establishing the recruiting, uh, lanes and all that kind of stuff today. So, so right now I think this is the staff, um, but then again, it's, it's coaching. So you never know what could pop up, what could pop up. Yeah, I guess, I guess if you look at the defensive staff right now, a couple different ways it could go. Uh, Traveris Robinson coaches, uh, corners or Traveris Robinson coaches the entire secondary. Um, you could have Austin Armstrong coaching linebacker, inside linebacker, Coleman Hutzler with the outside linebackers, Freddie Roach, with the defensive line and Kevin Steele is maybe either inside linebackers coach DC or just a standalone yeah, defensive can, coordinator. Yeah. He could be a standalone. I mean, there was discussion, you know, last year it was never publicized, but at one point they were kind of exploring the idea of moving Charles Kelly, the linebacker to help Pete. And I don't think that, you know, Pete was super excited about that, which would have left T Rob in the secondary by itself. Um, to begin with. So they kind of explored that last year, hoping to get a little more um, out of, uh, of that, uh, that linebacker core that they were getting. Um, also, I mean, T Robbie's definitely a defensive backs coach. I mean, this guy's coached uh, uh, basically corners, safeties, everything his whole life. So he knows the secondary uh, corners are probably his specialty, but I think he could definitely work in the safeties, especially with the new age, kind of that safety is a cornerback. So uh, physically, so he could definitely do that. They got options there, and I, I sort of like the standalone. I mean, if it's me, mm-hmm. I like the standalone where Kevin Steele could go talk with the defensive lineman and what he needs working with Roach, talking to the inside-outside backers, the walk around, almost like a head coach, which he's familiar with, almost like a head coach walking around making sure that they're all doing you know, kind of on the same page. So Yeah, tie it all in from front to back, back to front. and uh, Yeah be sort of the uh the flex seal guy right there taping it all together and uh you know we've seen standalone coordinators in the past i, I want to say loxley uh might have been the last one um 2018 on the offensive side so there's some interesting things to consider there as far as the breakdown of this staff for the 2023 season also interesting speaking of 2023 is the direction of this alabama men's basketball team tim Taking on the Florida Gators tomorrow night at Coleman Coliseum. Colin Castleton, the six foot eleven big, coming to Tuscaloosa on a heater. Alabama, of course, coming off a ten point win over LSU in Baton Rouge. 
it's a uh, it's a good thing I think if you're an Alabama fan and your program's gotten to the point where Nate Oates is pretty annoyed with the way his team played in a ten point win on the road in the league. I think that speaks to to the level that uh, this program has ascended to. Yeah, they didn't finish out very well. Um, obviously, was it seven minutes they didn't score? Was that right? Yeah, went went yeah six plus on a drought there. You know, they and they still scored seventy nine points on the road and won by double digits. I mean, the line was eleven or eleven and a half. So that tells you, you know, I, I, and I get the the mentality like basketball. Basketball such a long season. It is. It's a long season. The NBA obviously is even much longer, but you kind of have to like compartmentalize what you exactly you want, which is you know the pre you know the pre conference, the first half of the conference, five game stretches, all that kind of stuff. I mean, they took a you know they took a beat down in Oklahoma, you know, came back massively against Vanderbilt, proved their point. So it's hard to stay up every game. Also, this stretch has not been. Sexy. This is a team that has played, you know, I mean, this is a team that has played Houston, Gonzaga, uh, Kentucky, at Arkansas. They played so many good teams this year. So when you get to a stretch, and not to make an excuse for them, but when you get to a stretch of LSU, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Mississippi State, Oklahoma, Vanderbilt, and LSU, that's not that sexy for them. That's It's a little no. harder to get up for those games. Florida. I think they'll be able to get up, you know, they'll be into it more. Auburn, Tennessee, those kind of games are what you kind of get used to. We've seen this with the football team in the past. You've seen that homecoming game. Some of the worst games ever in Alabama history was their homecoming game. They just simply couldn't get up for it. Um, you know, it's pound, you know, it's packaged between two teams. You know, usually you got an LSU and an Auburn or whatever. So I I love what the team does. I love that they make um they we can make all this but this is a good team, but they can't go seven minutes without scoring. I like the fact that every time we say that, they're still a good team. They're still winning. Yeah, and that's why when you hear the narrative of, well, if Alabama doesn't make their threes, um, they can't win. Well, they did make 13 threes at LSU, okay? Um, but they, they did survive, speaking of butts, they did survive that six-minute drought on the road against uh, what I thought was a very motivated LSU team compared to what I had seen of them of late. And that speaks to as well where Alabama is in terms of getting the best shot from each and every opponent on the schedule, which is somewhat new for this program. Yeah. I mean, you look, we saw Alabama win at Mississippi state, pretty big upset, not a big upset, but Mississippi state was certainly upset. They came back much more of a motivated against Alabama Alabama beats, you know, LSU by 40. LSU comes back. That's kind of that mentality when you whoop somebody, you know, it's 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 hard to whoop them again because, you know, you kind of let down. They kind of rise up and step up to that occasion. This team, I have no problems with this team. I have no problems with this team because, like I said, earlier in the year to the end, I see the effort. Whether they're winning, whether they're struggling, their heads up, they're playing better. I think that a lot of times – when you watch sports, you make your decision the first. I mean, I still got people that are criticizing Quinterly, who I think is playing exceptionally well um, basketball right now. I think he's been unselfish. Uh, yeah, he's going to have a couple of turnovers. He's a he's a point guard. He's got like 13 assists in his last two games, and yeah, he's playing I'm, start. He's playing starter minutes right now. He he's has playing not, more minutes than Jaden Bradley. 
He has that ball in his hands so much. Of course he's going to – every NBA point guard, every college point guard turns the ball over. If they don't, it's a stat on ESPN. He had Especially the way Alabama plays yeah. him too, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so him having two – You're not just walking it up and you know throwing it to the wing. Not only that, he's a fancy passer. He'll do a wraparound. He'll penetrate and try to you know go around a – Go around a uh, big man to hit a guy cutting in the lane. He tries, you know. He's a he's a he's a gifted passer. He sees the ball well. He's that northeastern you know street kid who knows how to how to play a pickup game. I mean, you see that. So sometimes he's going to be loose with the ball, but he's been a lot better than he's been bad this last month. But you still have people picking it up. So I think you get into that mode if we don't hit our. Hey, I'll tell you this: it's not a newsflash. To say if Bama don't score, they could lose. Hell yeah, hell yeah, uh, yeah. They, if they don't, if they don't make, yeah, but they're the only team you can say that about. Dumbest to hate. You know what I mean? If the baseball team don't score no runs, they could lose. Yeah, you damn right they're going to lose. They're not going to. They certainly can't win. So yes, if any basketball team has a bad night and the other team has a good night, and you can look at Oklahoma. Oklahoma is definitely not better than Alabama. They're not better in Norman. They're not better in Tuscaloosa. They're not better in neutral floor. But that day they were better. They yeah. Alabama, and that's basketball. You look up every week. You know, you look up every week. I mean, I think there's two. Is it two? Two lost teams left. I'm not sure. Yeah. That I know that there's two ahead of Alabama, but most of these teams are already in the three plus uh, loss column. You got Houston and Purdue. Houston certainly doesn't play the schedule other teams do. Not that they're not a good team, but most of these teams, I'm looking at it now. You got Alabama and Arizona with three losses. After that, you get into four. You know, four teams have four. There's a lot of, you know, there's not going to be an undefeated team this year. There are going to be teams that have bad games. How you re- react to the bad game, I think, is super important about what kind of team you are and how you act during a game where you're having adversity, I think, tells you more a lot more about your team than when you're making every three, like in the Vanderbilt. I learned nothing about Alabama and Vanderbilt. I knew they were really good, but I learned a lot more about Alabama and LSU that even though they're struggling, they're going to finish out and get that win. Yeah. I think uh, Nate also is sounding the bell against uh, complacency because he knows what's coming up. Florida Wednesday night, Auburn on the road Saturday, Tennessee coming up. You got Auburn twice in the month of February. So no doubt the competition is about to pick up for an Alabama team that heads into its next SEC matchup with a two-game lead in the conference. Hey, let's make some Super Bowl picks before we get into this here T. Watson TR podcast mailbag. Uh, It's here, Tim. Are you ready for Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles with Lane Dickerson and Josh Job and... Oh, by the way, Devontae Smith set to take on Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you have a strong lean one way or the other on this Tuesday of Super Bowl week? Yeah, I like the Eagles. I think the Eagles are a good team. I, I, I find it kind of interesting. This coach is uh, – I've noticed there's been some arrogance from the Eagles coach. He's got – he's like Bream. And I will say he walked into an unbelievable situation. The Eagles as an organization really – did whatever they had to do to get here. I mean, they are a loaded team. Um, they got draft picks next year. These guys have, you know, they're going to have multiple first round draft picks next year. I mean, a loaded team. Um, I like what they do, especially on defense. I mean, I like what they do. I think Smith, you know, nobody's really talked about, 
you know, I'm not sure why. I guess it's because A.J. Brown had such a big year. Nobody's really talked about Smitty as much as he probably should have. But, I mean, for a, you know, you know, 1,200 yards receiving this year, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good season. You know what I mean? And it took him a while to get going. He wouldn't really look at that much. I mean, everybody's talking about A.J. Brown with 1,500. But both of them are just really good. That Kenneth Grant, Grain, Gainwell to me is a wild card, scrappy little guy that can, you know, catch the ball out of the backfield and, and does some things. But I love their defense. I mean, I know the Eagles are good. You're facing Patrick Mahomes. I just don't know. Mahomes a little bit gimpy on his ankle. And I'm not sure their offensive line is going to hold up against this uh, this defensive pressure. Yeah, I think that's where I lean towards the Eagles is line of scrimmage. And that ability when it gets into the second half and let's say it's close or the Eagles are in a position of leading the game, they can put it away with Landon Dickerson and Kelsey at center and really that group in general. Now, Chris Jones for the Chiefs is a real problem on that defensive line. So I hope we get to see some Landon Dickerson. It looked like he had tweaked an elbow maybe in that EFC, NFC championship game. I hope we get to see that matchup with uh, Landon some when Chris Jones works inside. He'll work across that front. But I think overall, it, it's hard for me not to pick the Eagles with the physicality of that team, the lines of scrimmage. I think also on the back end, they're built in a way to be able to hang in there with Mahomes. I don't think, I think we both agree, this version of the Chiefs offense without Tariq Hill, those type of guys on the outside, uh, they don't have available to him. Now, Travis Kelsey, we've seen it plenty of times. Everybody in the damn stadium knows the ball is going to Travis Kelsey and and, and still what happens. Kind of like Gronk when he was with Brady in the Pats. So you got to account for that. But yeah, hey, you know, too, though, you know, the Jalen detractors are just lying in the weeds, right? Just waiting on Jalen. To not it. come up big in a big game and then go with that, pounce on that once again, despite the fact that, hey, Jalen was huge in the 2018 SEC championship game. He gave Alabama the lead late in the 2017 college football playoff national championship game against Clemson. Uh, but that's not going to stop some of these folks. If Jalen even gets off to a slow start on Sunday, they're going to be all in our timelines. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand the 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 debates. I mean, it happens at every, every college, but how are you debating whether you like or not a guy that went to your college and you're a fan of, um, I don't know why you wouldn't like Jalen hurts. I mean, especially if you're an Alabama fan, I mean, the guy, uh, technically he spent his last year at Oklahoma, but he reps Alabama as much as anybody. You know what I mean? I see, I see Jalen in more Alabama stuff than I do Tua probably, you know, I hear more about, you know, that, that kind of game, um, that kind of Alabama pride. I mean, the guy mentions Alabama, an awful lot. So, um, but you're probably right. But again, you know, Mahomes, I mean, the Eagles have four guys with double digit sacks. Jalen's going to face Chris Jones. They have a pretty good offensive line to try to keep that guy out of there. And of course they have other guys that can get there, but I think the Eagles, they've kind of looked since earlier in the year, um, early in the year, they kind of look just that fundamentally sound team and they, they know look, who they are, man. Yeah, they, they, they embrace their identity, don't they? Yeah, they did a good job of really, you know, not having many letdowns. You know what I mean? They had mm-hmm. lost a couple games back to back when they'd already wrapped up the division. I think it was, uh, I know the Saints beat them 20 to 10, which is quite the shocker as a Saints fan. 
Um, but they kind of had wrapped up, you know, pretty much what they were going to do. But I feel like they're really confident in what they can do. So I'm, I'm going with the Eagles. I hope it's a great game. I don't have a, I don't have a dog in the fight, so to speak, other than the heavy. You know, you got um, what you got over there. You got Jalen. You got Smitty. You got Landon Dickerson. You got Josh Jobs. You got Jeff Stoutland, who coached. Yeah. Joe Panetta, Your boy, Joe A couple times. So you yeah. got heavy Alabama flavor over there. So, I mean, if you're looking at it from the Bama angle, it's the Eagles. But if they didn't, I, I like the Eagles. I like the team. I like what they did, kind of blue collar. Um, you know, and also, of course, I like the Chiefs. Andy Reid's a great coach, and Mahomes a good one. So I'm just looking for a good game. It's been a bad NFL season for me. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Let's get into the uh, let's make that better with the uh, T Watts and TR podcast mailbag. That always cheers us up. Hey, Dr. Back, uh, he asked about the current group of quarterbacks fitting into Tommy Reese's anticipated offense. I think we hit on that earlier. He also, though, wants to know about Julian Sayan, the 2024 commitment at the quarterback position. Got to be excited about his arrival. Dr. Back says here. Uh, what do you say about Julian Sayan, Tim? Hank South got an interview with him. He said he was very excited about him. Um, this guy, he, you know, he, he's did a lot of nice things. You know, we see him a lot in the seven on seven and, you know, he's a mystery. You know, I, I tell you, when I first saw his film, I don't know if it's the angle. I don't know if it's the depth. He did not look very big to me physically. He looked good. Me either. Yeah. He's like a hell of a football player, but he's a lot bigger than Bryce was at the same stage. So, um, um, heavier than he looks. So when you see him in person, totally different animal. Um, also, he was pretty young, you know, when we were seeing him before. So he can add, build, put up, put that strength on, that weight on. It doesn't need a lot. I mean, he's athletic with a big arm, confident. He's that kind of guy. He's making the 707 tour. He's going to have a lot of reps. So he's going to fit in nicely as far as um, as what Reese would want to do because he can run the ball a little bit. And he can pass. He does remind me of Bryce. Physically, not not saying he's Bryce. I don't want to get in that habit of comparing everybody to to a player that good. But I, th- I mean, I would say he's excited uh, for from Andy recruited him to Notre Dame, so he said he already knew him. Now, Doctor Back also wants to know what are we doing for our wives for Valentine's Day, Tim? You got anything special planned? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, I just <laughs> do you know, that's the special part. Whatever she wants to do, we just do it. Um, been together a long time. She could want to go out. She usually doesn't. We could end up just watching a movie um, at home or getting Chinese or something. Just depends. Her birthday is in the start of February, so kind of runs in back to back with that. Twofer, twofer, yeah. You, you, you kind of do get that. You kind of do get. She kind of gets that. My birthday's in December. So I always got that birthday snub. Yeah. It's the. She kind of gets the Valentine's Day snub a little. Yeah, I got that. That Christmas birthday snub too, man. Two days after Christmas, Crazy. got hammered on that. Uh, my wife works in the chocolate business there at Peterbrook in Tuscaloosa. That's her store. So I'm probably going to cater her in maybe lunch on Valentine's Day because she will be there from about 5 a.m. till 9 p.m. at least on Valentine's Day. But we try to do some stuff beforehand. Go to a nice dinner. Um, you know, celebrate that way. I, I will do some flowers for her because the last thing she wants on Valentine's Day is some chocolate. But we do encourage you certainly to to do the chocolate thing. Hey, B underscore Rich underscore here in the mail bag wants to know or is talking about Namari Burnett and Ryland Griffin seem to be getting in a nice groove from beyond the arc. If this team continues to make ten plus threes a game, this team goes. 
2-0 this week, right? It seems like Bama is in the amen corner of the SEC schedule. We talked about the latter part of that statement slash question just a moment ago. I don't think there's any doubt things are ramping up in February from a schedule perspective. But what about Rylan and Nambari and really the bench in general? Because we talked about Javon earlier, man. Um, 31 points for the bench at LSU and going to see a Florida team tomorrow night that in its last three games combined has gotten 15 points from its bench. So that's another area of this team, man, that seems to be rounding into form, I guess, at the right time. Hey, I said it, you know, last year, I loved Ryland as much as I loved him. I loved him more than Clowney and Miller personally as a personal preference. I loved his game. I love it. He's, he's sort of that small forward type uh, guard that I like coming out of high school when I was doing a, the National Hoops team. That's kind of the guy I lean to as the guys I preferred. So I loved him. I'm glad to see he's finally coming around. It took him a minute, obviously. Brandon and Clowney have had bigger impacts, but Ryland is slowly. You know, the thing I liked about him, we said this earlier, is he's missing, but he don't care. He's still he's still shooting them. You know what I mean? That tells me, you know, when a guy's taking shots and he's missing a lot of them, that t- and he continues to take them, that tells me he can make them. He knows he can make them. So, yeah, another big, you know, another, another weapon coming in off the bench. And that's got to be frustrating. I mean, you look at, you know, you look at your starters and you bring it in, you know, Gurley and, you know, you know, Quinterly, Burnett, um, who am I missing? Uh, Griffin, Gurley, you bring it in. That's four starters for a lot of schools. Yeah. A lot of schools in the SEC, that could be a starting unit at a couple of SEC schools right now, off the, you know, right off the top of our head. So, um, yeah, if they make these threes, if they continue to do what they're doing, I think that we're going to see, you know, we just got to finish through. We just got to get through this the rough part. See what we we got to see what they do in this rough part. Hey, it's going to be hard to win at Auburn. And it's going to be hard to win at Tennessee. I mean, they're going to be, but they are winnable games. So I think yeah. the start of the season, even now, you go one and one, you're not extremely disappointed in that situation because after that, you've got Georgia, South Carolina, Arkansas at home, Auburn at home, and Texas A&M. So you just want to get through that little segment with those two games. Love to see them win both and think certainly think it's possible. And they will be fired up for those games. And, of course, Tennessee and Auburn will be extremely fired up as well. So it should be two great college games, NCAA, SEC championship-type atmosphere there. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, if you go through Florida – uh, Auburn and Tennessee with two of those three on the road, you go two and one in these next three. I think that's an acceptable result. Um, given the, the, the level of difficulty, I ah, look, the, the potential is certainly there for this team to go through it three and Oh, they're capable of doing that. Absolutely. Um, so you're not just expecting a loss from any of those three games, but there's no question that it's going to be much more challenging than what this team has encountered here in the in the last month or so hey um jcb underscore uh 10 asks do you guys see an actual change in philosophy on offense like greg mcelroy and others are suggesting what do you say tim full overhaul coming maybe for the alabama offense what do you think i don't see it i don't either i didn't know i mean i thought there's going to be a tweak i mean you I think all offenses, if you don't watch it, you can find yourself running too much, passing too much. The thing about last year's offense, not you know, that that I don't think it had anything to do with Bill O'Brien was a lot of it was Bryce. 
Mm-hmm. Bryce was so good at breaking down a play and, you know, making it seven Mississippi rush back there that he would hold the ball, pat the ball, look around, point where guys could go. A lot of times the quick throws just weren't there. You know, it just changed. I don't think it's part of it. It's not, I'm certainly not blaming Bryce. I don't think he trusted his wide receivers um, and certainly didn't have the depth or the go-to guy with a Mechie or a, that, that especially a Mechie that he was used to, that safety blanket. So um, I don't think a complete overhaul is necessary. I do think the running game has to improve just to be able to get that yard when you want to get that. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as lining up, especially in college and shotgun and just, you know, you know, sneaking it over anymore. I mean, again, you saw Texas, Alabama has one yard to get to end that game. And, you know, Roy Dell slips and doesn't really, you know, doesn't come close. Spot was weird and all that stuff. You don't want there to be a, you don't want there to be a measurement. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Their knees at the first down marker and their body laid over it. So, um, yeah, that'd be the only change is a tweak. I think a tweak's necessary. Not a lot of, not a lot of changes. Yeah, you'd like to become more of an offense where if you second and one, you can use that to take a shot maybe in the passing game instead of, all right, we got to go ahead and try to pick up this yard yeah. on second and one because when we get to third and one, we're not sure we can pick it up. You know, you would like your sequencing to be more favorable than that. Um, I didn't hear Greg's comments on the situation, so context is everything. You know, I'm sure Greg's not expecting to see three tight ends on the field at one time, other than maybe in goal line and some short yardage. But yeah, Reese has a background in 12 personnel. He also has spread the field from certain personnel groupings. So I think as much as anything, it'll be interesting to see how the marriage works with tempo, maybe more of the equation uh, at Alabama than it's been at Notre Dame and um, and third downs and in red zone. That's what I keep going back to that. If, if this thing lines up, like you think it might with the talent that Alabama has and the background that Reese has, uh, that's where you see continued improvement. And also again, the threat of the quarterback run, I think and goes up. You make a good point. I mean, you bring in the CJ Dupree from Maryland, you got Amari Nye Black, you know, you got an extremely athletic tight end in him. Dupree's a sneaky, you know, athletic guy. Um, and then you got a healthy Robbie Oots at H-back. I mean, those are some weapons. You add them on top of the wide receivers you've got, the running backs you've got. Those are some sneaky guys that can make big plays for you. And, you know, you see that? That's the kind of match you can isolate and wear out to get an advantage when you play somebody. Because when you're playing Alabama with whatever quarterback they've got, their running game and um, the running backs they've got, and you're not thinking of, hey, how do we shut down C.J. Dupree, Amari Black, or how do we uh, contain Robbie Oops? So, you know, anything you get from them is an advantage. Yeah, you, you feel like you still got the type of people at the skill positions that you can continue to produce explosive plays at a favorable rate like you did with Jameer Gibbs even in 2022. But yeah, that physical presence to go along with it on a down in and down out basis, I'm sure is something Nick Saban wants to see return to that offense. As far as though, you know, how it'll impact passing attempts per game. Uh, look, Alabama is not going back to throwing 11 passes uh, in a national championship game. Like Greg was able to do against Texas back in the 2010 BCS championship game. We've, We've uh, moved on from those days of of football in general. Zoom 1996 asks, this is off topic, but I would love to hear about Tim 
starting out in this business, if that's something he is comfortable talking about. Just a little bit of insight into what it took to get BOL running. What about it, Tim? Um, I was running a uh, college basketball and football scouting service, and um, I had college coaches that recommended me to Shan Terry, the CEO at Rivals at the time, later the CEO at 24-7 Sports, and now the CEO at uh, On3, um, uh, the new uh, website he's created. So I had people recommending him. I didn't know if I wanted to get into it, to be honest with you. I wasn't that familiar. I really liked, I loved going to a gym and sitting down. It was easy. I mean, I loved it. I mean, a lot of people found it hard, but I would go sit in a gym all day and I would write down notes of players I saw. And I knew none of them when I started, didn't know any of them. There was no research. There was no real internet. There was no rankings. There was none of that stuff when I got going and I would, you know, if they were good, I'd write down their name, number, their address, I'd get their parents information. I put it in a, in a mailer and I would, I would sell it to college coaches. You know, they'd pay me X amount of dollars per year. Certainly a great deal for them. It paid for my expenses. I had fun. Um, I have great stories. You know, the first one is, you know, that I know that saw Derek Rose in a back gym in Houston where there was nobody there, but parents, no, not a single person was covering that game. And, Covered a basketball game, I'll never forget. And the guy said, hey, this this guy over here is not bad. And he said, you know, I think he's going to get recruited at some point. It was Raymond Felton, you know, who obviously was a great player at North Carolina, NBA, and all that. Yeah. I had great stories. So finally, you know, I talked to Shannon. He said, come on, dude, let's blow it up. He told me, because I didn't want to do football. And I was already doing football. I was going to schools and getting film, Brady Kroll, Cardinal Williams. I didn't want to do the school. I didn't want to do football so much as basketball because basketball was, you know, you go to one place, you see a hundred guys. He talked me into it. He bribed me. He tricked me. And he said, <laughs> do who do BOL. I got this dude Tra- a year or so later. He said, I got this dude, Travis Ryder coming to help you. And I, I knew you, I knew who you were. And so it was me and you from that point forward. And then little by little, he's like, you can cover hoops, but it pays this. Now you can, <laughs> you cover. Football. <laughs> <laughs> so Shannon, uh, finessed me, so to speak. Uh, person I am. I mean, Travis has been together. I don't even want to count the years. It's been a lot. About 20. Yeah. It's been a 20 lot. 20 years. Yeah, it's been a lot. So that's how July it, of 2003. So crazy. that's it's when crazy. hilarity, that's when hilarity ensued, Tim. That's when the world changed. <laughs> that's it. Nothing super sexy, but um, I always enjoyed talking to college coaches at any school. I, talk, I, I still talk to guys that aren't associated with Bama. NBA scouts, all that kind of stuff. I, I enjoy talking ball. I could discuss it all day. I love it. So there you go. AG Bailey in the roundtable mailbag uh, says coordinator hires and their effect on player development, please. O'Brien seemed to be primarily a play caller. Golding's forte was recruiting with a new quarterback and a lot of defensive starters to develop. Do you think we have improved in that regard with these coordinator hirings? Bryce was new for O'Brien, but much closer to a finished product when he arrived. I think we hit on some of this earlier about fundamentals and player development. And I think from that perspective, you you feel pretty good about both these hires, don't you? I do. I feel you that you get. I also, I feel, I feel good about it as a whole. To be honest with you, I, I think you've got, uh, again, you got a young guy to work quarterback. Let's be honest, Bryce was so good. Not to say Bill O'Brien didn't have an impact. I'm not saying that. But Bryce is that rare recruit 
you know, like Dennis Green said, that he is who we thought he was. Bryce was who we thought he was from day one to his last game against Kansas State. Bryce was that guy. He was that way in high school. He's going to be that way in the pros because there wasn't a lot of development and changes in what kind of player he was. These other guys are all a work in progress. Bryce, there's very few quarterbacks that come to campus and they are already what they are. You know, a lot of them get developed and all. We've seen, you know, Trevor Lawrence was that guy, although he did have to change his throw once he went pro, but um, he had to do work there. But yeah, I mean, that's it's it's there wasn't a lot of chances to work, you know, really change Bryce, but there is with these guys. I mean, you got you know, you got Dylan Lonergan coming in. He's a baseball player. You know, you got Eli Holstein's a big, strong kid from Louisiana. And then, of course, you got Jalen who needs passing work and Simpson who needs reps. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. And from defense, I'm certainly excited about, you know, the thing about Golding is everybody liked Pete Golding. I think everybody does like Pete Golding. He's a nice guy. He doesn't really strike me as a guy that would get in, you know, get at you that that hard, you know, an old school guy. Kevin Stills going to get at you. He's going to get his point across, and he's got this when you hear him talk. Got this deep country singer voice. I mean, it's very. You've heard him talk, right, Travis? It's very Johnny Cat, Johnny Cash like almost. Kevin Steele, when he talks, it's like you know, he's like deep voice. He probably can sing the shit out of some karaoke, but yeah. He, He's in prison blues across. He's going to yell. It's probably not a lot of yelling. It's probably like us at this stage. I don't yell much around the house, but when I do, I speak <laughs> the practice, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I do like that from that standpoint, I think there's going to be more pressure put on there and there's going to be some urgency. I mean, again, you go through what you did. There's a lot of complaints. You're basically getting a fresh start. You're getting new faces you have to be – to me, you have to be just like this Alabama basketball team. You're going to have to show some common sense and restraint that new people playing for the first time are going to go through growing pains. And we saw that, again, with the basketball team, and I think you'll see that with the football team where you're going to see a lot of young guys, as great as they are, Caleb Downs is going to make a mistake, I'm assuming. They mm-hmm. all – so doesn't mean he's any less of a great player than he is because, you know, he's a fantastic prospect, so – I'm excited about it personally, just for the change. I'm excited just for the change. Sensible hires, if not sizzling hires. And the latter is what fans really gravitate towards. I call them, I call them water cooler hires because when they go to, when fans go to the water cooler and nowadays the water coolers, Twitter or something like that, they want to be able to talk, boast about the sizzle hire, right? Um, and, and, and I wouldn't say these are necessarily sizzle or water cooler hires, but, uh, they're very sensible hires. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I mean, you got to trust that Nick Saban, um, knows what he needs for his program. I think that was the most put out by put me out the most from the critics. It was like, how dare he hire this guy? I mean, he's got to know what he needs to help his program run better, right or wrong. And also, I don't know why you would assume he made the wrong decision. I mean, he's made a lot of right decisions. And again, if you want to point that so-and-so was a was not a good hire, of course, Nick Saban's hired how many people in his coaching career? So yeah, yeah so some of them weren't good hires. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. But why would you point that? That's another thing, annoying-ass people looking at, you know, pointing out the minority of something. Oh, these two guys out of 100 weren't good hires. Well, who cares? Who is hitting on 98% anyways? Mm-hmm. You should be having a little more faith in that. That's just To me, that's just weak sauce, finding the 
you know, hey, Michael Jordan missed 11 game winners. You know what I mean? Like, hit 30 of them. I'm sure that ratio. Oh, you can work the numbers just about any way you want to support your particular narrative that you want out there that is that supports your preference. Um, but there, it's more nuanced than that, man, when these hirings take place. Nick Saban takes a lot of things into account. He takes into account what his team needs right now, as you talked about earlier. There's also consideration for the bigger picture. Uh, can I get at least a couple of years out of this guy, at least? Um, you know, there, there's just there's different things that his teams need in different years. Um, and so that's why this this hire sort of resonates with me anyway, in that it, it makes sense. It makes sense. Both these hires uh, at the coordinator positions goes to Bryant. As we wrap up the round table mailbag here on T Watson TR, if the basketball team goes 18 and O or 17 and one in conference play, how far will they have to advance in postseason tournaments to be considered the best Alabama team of all time? Would a SEC tournament championship and a Sweet 16 run birth do it? Elite Eight, Final Four, or bust? What about it, Tim? This team runs the table or drops one game in SEC regular season play. What do you think will be required in the postseason for it to establish itself as the best ever? Man, you know, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask this because I'm going by how much fun I get out of watching stuff and uh, – I'm sure there's been teams I enjoy. I mean, I certainly enjoyed the run two years ago, but I can't really think, what are we, 22 games into this? I can't think of a team I've enjoyed more than for 22. Now, obviously a lot of change. I know basketball, so to me, a team, a great team don't, often don't make the Final Four, let's be real. Um, great teams, I've seen great teams not make the Sweet 16 upset in the first round because it is, there's so much going on. Um, I think to be the greatest Alabama team, but you know, ever, I think winning the SEC regular season, um, you know, I, I, I went in, you know, making the finals of the SEC tournament, in a sweet 16. That's a lot for me to think an Alabama team's ever accomplished more than that. Um, but I would, I mean, anything past the sweet 16 been to one elite eight tells me they're the best team ever. So I don't know. I don't have a great answer for that one. Yeah, I don't put as much weight in SEC tournament championships. If you go 18 and 0 or 17 and 1 and win the regular season title and then advance to even the Sweet 16, I think you got to be right up there. Because uh, how many how many Elite Eight teams does Alabama have? One. And that wasn't the best Alabama team of all time. It, it, it was it was a team that got hot at the right time and shocked Stanford and uh, beat Syracuse in the 16 out in Phoenix before falling to the eventual national champion, UConn Huskies in the eight. One of the best college basketball teams I've still ever seen was Emeka Okafor and the Huskies that year. Right. Um, Yeah. I I think, um, I think if you run the table and regular season conference play, and that's understanding again, this isn't a great SEC this year. There's four or five teams that I think are legitimate. Uh, then it becomes more of a crapshoot. Good to see Mississippi State playing better of late. That helps a little bit. But it's a tough one to sort of assign because I think Wimp Sanderson had some great teams uh, that didn't win SEC championships or get beyond the Sweet 16, obviously. But, man, when you just look at the rosters 
of some of those teams. Uh, they were fun to watch. 90 was, to me, 90 had a chance, certainly at least get to the eight. Never should have lost to Loyola Marymount in that 16 game, the Hank Gathers team, uh, when they tried to slow it down uh, against a Marymount team that wanted to to run and shoot threes or, or you know, score at a high rate. So, um I don't know. I, I think I think if if you're if you're the SEC regular season champs and you get to the you combine that with a sixteen or certainly an eight, if you get to the eight and win the SEC to me, that's it. You're you're at the top. Yeah, I agree. All right, Tim, that's gonna do it for the latest edition of the roundtable mailbag on the T Watts and TR version of the BAM online podcast. Anything else before we get out of here? You got your, uh, you got a Jalen Hurts jersey for the weekend, or I mean, what? I don't do jerseys. I do. Yeah, the, I don't either. I all don't my either. kids have a ton of jerseys. I just am never yeah. uh, not a jersey I, guy. I just, you know, I don't have a jersey build. I feel kind of. I'm not going to make the other people feel dumb. But some of y'all look dumb. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to up the percentages of middle-aged men running around in the jersey. Uh, I, I see grown men wearing them that look fantastic. They look like they were born to wear them. I, me, I'm just not comfortable in them. Yeah, I've just never never been a big jersey well, guy. Yeah, when we were growing up, they weren't all these cool jerseys. They were kind of scratchy. They were kind of... Right. You know, your mom probably tried to slide a Walmart, or Kmart version of it. We were working that starter gear back then, yeah. dude. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that. Now, the starter gear, the... Uh, the the, the uh, what were those? It wasn't a hoodie. It was more rainproof. What were those called? Starter jackets. Yes, the starter that, jackets, man. That, you match the hat. I mean, that was the mm-hmm. easiest. That was the easiest dress code in the world. You know, you yeah. Put team for any that look was on hip hop co- album covers Love everywhere it. back uh, in the day. I never really got. And you know, I don't have a lot of friends that wear jerseys. Kids love them. NWA but, and the Raiders gear. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. You gotta be careful. I was growing up, you had to be careful the Raiders gear, you get your butt kicked over. <laughs> I, was, I was walking around like NWA, all those people were so popular then. We were literally like, you know, you couldn't wear red. Even in Alabama, you couldn't wear red and blue. You know what I mean? You go see the movie Colors, you were scared to death to put on any colors. Oh, Colors. Little well, Sean Penn. I wore yeah. red a whole sophomore year. Like, surely nobody's mad at these guys, right? <laughs> Mage is not beefing with nobody, right? I'm good. Ice tea, colors, 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 colors. Yeah, it's taking me back now, dude. We will mm. see you guys next week, and yeah, we will. Thank post you. Super Bowl, post a couple of big basketball big games, basketball and games. We got a lot to talk about coming up in the month of February, and you're going to want to hang out with us at BamaOnline.com. Come chill, come post up at the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe right there with us at BamaOnline.com. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast here yet, the Bama Online podcast, simple as a click or two, wherever you consume pods, you're going to find us. And if you would leave us a rating and a review while you're there, that would be greatly appreciated as well. For Tim Watts, Travis Schreier, thanks again. Until next time, so long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 